missed it, it's on our website. And today we're going to talk about the power of forgiveness. The kind of grief that comes when you yourself has failed. If you're like me, there have been many times in life each day where that sense of, man, God, I, I messed up there. And, and, and sorrow and guilt because of our sin is something that's part of our lives. And because of that, God has added it to our playlist, teaching us how to come to him with the mess in our lives, with the failures that we've had. And if you're in a place where you are carrying around the baggage of your sin, the baggage of your failures, the baggage of your past, our our prayer is that you could lay those at the foot of the cross today and understand that God really does want to establish within you a hope that understands that you are forgiven. We're going to find ourselves in the book of Psalms, chapter 32. It was read for us earlier today, but we're going to take another look at it. Psalm 32. It is a psalm of confession that turns into a psalm of thanksgiving. And that's the way it works in God's economy. When we come to God with our sin and we bring it before him, we can understand and know his posture toward us is one of forgiveness when we turn from our sin. Would you stand with me one more time as we're going to read the book of Psalms, chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. We would love for you to take that home with you. Let that be your Bible if you don't own a Bible. If you do own a Bible, I encourage you to bring it with you on Sunday mornings. Uh, It's important to to make marks in the margin, to underline things, to to just put words in the corner. Just have your Bible with you so you can take notes and see it. Uh, For me, I've used the same Bible, literally, um, for probably about eight years now. And I've I've bought it several different times. But I always buy the same exact Bible because I remember where in my Bible a certain text is. The top left-hand corner, but just, just by constantly you know, reading it over and over. So um, keep your Bible with you and stay in it and it helps you remember and memorize it. Psalm 32, it's 11 verses. I'm going to read it for us. And I want you to feel the emotion of this psalm, the heart of confession and how it turns into praise. Verse 1 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, and that's woman included, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Some of you say it's hot in here right now. I'm feeling like dried up. I'm with you on that. Verse 5. But I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore... Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. Can you say shout for joy? All you upright in heart. This is God's word for us. You may be seated, family. There is great power in understanding that you are forgiven. There really is. The first two verses of this psalm help us understand how powerful and how wonderful it is to be forgiven. So much to the extent where King David, who wrote this psalm, says, the person who's forgiven is blessed, he said. Not the person with the big house, the nice car, the big bank account, the great job. All those things are good. They're, they're nice to have at times. But King David didn't say, no, that's not the blessed person that I'm thinking of here. He says, blessed is who? Look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. We know the angst and hurts of carrying our sin on our lives. And those of you who know that you're forgiven, you know how much of a blessing it is to know that God says, I forgive you. And here David states that from the very beginning. Blessed are the ones whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. He talks about these people who understand that they are forgiven, and he uses three words to talk about what they are forgiven from. You know, a lot of times people say, yeah, I'm good with the big guy upstairs. Me and him, we're good, we're good. But there's little recollection of what might make them not good with God. And there are three words that David uses. He uses the word transgression, sin, and iniquity, saying that those things make us not good with God. He says, blessed are those who are forgiven, which is to say that not blessed are those who are not forgiven. This is important. From this very statement, David is saying, not everybody is forgiven by God. That's important. Sometimes we want to fashion God out to be this kind of supernatural being that's good with everybody and with everything, with all my decisions, with all my choices, and he sweeps things under the rug, but he's good with me. David says, no, not everybody is forgiven. You here today might not be forgiven. Because forgiveness comes from God after we've come to him with our sin. And if you have not done that, you are not forgiven. The word transgression is to, is to go beyond a boundary. You've seen it before, no trespassing signs. Because they say if you get beyond this location, you have transgressed this boundary. And God has a boundary he has set up for us. And if we read the book of Exodus chapter 20, we see these 10 commandments, which are the standard boundary markers that God has created. You may have heard them before. You should have no other gods before me. You should not make idols. You should not take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. 
Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not covet. This is God's boundary markers. He has set up a sign saying no trespassing beyond that. And what King David's saying here is that we have transgressed God's boundaries. This is God's measuring stick and we don't line up. Now I've heard many times before it's easy for us to begin to compare ourselves with other people saying, oh, I'm not as bad as that person over there. I mean, that, that person's messed up. Me, I haven't done those things, so, so I measure up differently. But when we measure ourselves against the wrong ruler, our measurements will be thrown off. God has a standard. And those Ten Commandments kind of summarize everything, but around that is so much broader. I mean, even Jesus has said, you have heard that it was said in the days of old, you shall not murder. He's referring to the Ten Commandments. And Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus is saying, if you hold hatred in your heart, it is as if you've murdered them within. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, referring to the Ten Commandments. Then he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, the Ten Commandments create a boundary, but the boundary is so much grander. Basically, when you look at it, you realize nobody can line up against it. And we might pick and choose which commandments we're good at, which ones we're not so good at, But James tells us in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So we might say, I've kept nine of the Ten Commandments, but you've broken at least one. And when you've broken one, you've transgressed God's boundary. The other word he uses, transgression, is, is also the word sin. And in Hebrew, the word sin carries the idea of missing the mark. In fact, in the book of Judges, Uh, There's a real cool passage about these soldiers. And it says there were 700 left-handed soldiers, which is a unique thing uh, to have so many left-handed soldiers. And it says that they could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I mean, that's that's pretty smooth, isn't it? They could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. The word not miss comes from the root word for sin. They can hit the mark. Which is to say when we sin, it's because we have missed the mark. See, sinning is saying God's standard is here, but I've missed his mark. So not only is it transgressing a boundary, but it's also deviating from God's direction. David says, blessed is the one who's forgiven from his transgressions, from his sin. And the third word is iniquity, which is more of a deliberate wrongdoing, a perversion of what we know is right. And David says, this is where we are at. All of us have transgressed, have sinned, have committed iniquity. And he says, this is, this is God's measuring stick for us. Galatians 3 says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So when we understand that David says, blessed is the one who is forgiven, we understand how important those words are. Because if we are not forgiven, we're under a curse. And all of us, from the day of our birth, are under that curse. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. And that excludes who? No one. Why? Because no one is righteous, no, not one. All of us 
have sinned against God. All of us have rebelled. This playlist is, is a depressing one right now. This is, this is Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata for you. You listen to it, you're like, yeah, I think I want to turn this one off. This is, this is kind of messing with me here. But the beauty of God's word is, is that it meets us in the real place of our lives. You know how you've transgressed God's boundary. You know how you've missed God's mark. You know the iniquity in your heart. And God knows it too. God knows it too. When we're confronted with our sin, as maybe God is doing for you right now, you got two options. Either you stuff that thing in or you let it out before God. The first option of stuffing, the psalmist here says, is not one that's going to do well for you. Look at verse 3. He says, when I kept silent, that's when he was stuffing his sin, when he was not bringing it to God, when he was keeping his mouth sealed, He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He says, God, your hand was upon me, not for blessing and joy, but for discipline when I kept silent. He's saying, I felt the weight You ever seen some two fighters, two wrestlers in MMA, and some of them are just taking a pounding and they refuse to tap out. And you're like, dude, you lost already. They're under the weight of the other competitor and they're just stubborn. They don't want to quit. And so often we do that. We have our sin. We know how we've rebelled against God and we're just stubborn. We don't want to confess it to God. And his hand is on us. And what happens, as David says, is that your bones begin to waste away. If not literally through your health, spiritually through your mourning and agony. We've all done it. We've stuffed before, and you feel horrible until you become calloused, and then you don't care. There are at least five things that prevent us from bringing our sin to God. The first one is this, that we we justify our sin. We say, well, I had to do that. That person cut me off, so naturally, I had to go on the shoulder and cut them back off, right? We we justify our actions. Well, they talked bad about me, so I'm going to go talk bad about them. We we justify it. We, We had to do it to keep our job. We had to do it to keep the relationship. We make an excuse for it. The second reason we oftentimes keep silent is that we minimize the severity of it. It was just a small lie. It wasn't really gossip. And we minimize the severity of it. A third thing we do, sometimes we just straight up ignore our sin. Like that cavity in your tooth. You let it linger and linger and linger, and it's rotting and eroding, and you're like, who cares? Until one day it's going to matter, isn't it? Sometimes we ignore it. Or fourthly, sometimes we willfully give in to it, and we think, what is the use? of bringing it to God. So we wild out. We satisfy our appetite. Or sometimes a fifth reason why we keep silent is that we feel profound shame. And we think, I can't come to God now. Sometimes we start inflicting ourselves in different ways, saying, I'm going to try to pay for this. I'm going to make myself miserable. That way I can feel a little bit better and feel like maybe then God will take me in. 
I don't know what it is, what your thing is that keeps you silent. But here David is saying, when you're silent, God's hand of discipline is on you. And what does it mean, though, for his hand of discipline? See, for all who are God's children, they are just that. You are God's children. And the Bible speaks of God as a father. And I know for some of us, this illustration gets lost because we've had... uh, or examples of an earthly father, and we, we felt wounded by that, and we see God as father, we think, I don't know what I think about that, God. But, but understand this, the Bible always presents God as a good father, as a loving father, as a perfect parent. Nothing any of us have ever experienced outside of our relationship with God. But as a perfect father, he disciplines his children. The Proverbs say, that a parent who doesn't discipline their child is a parent who hates their child. And the reason for that is we let them go on in their rebellion. But God, who is a perfect father, says, no, I will discipline you in order to draw you back to the right place. Hebrews says, it is for discipline that you have, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and not as illegitimate children. In verse 10, it says in Hebrews 12, For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed the best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. See, the goal of God's discipline is to bring us back to him. So when we're keeping silent, when we're justifying, we're rationalizing our sin, our transgression, our iniquity, God's hand is on us saying, Hey, how long are you going to be stubborn there on the mat? How long am I going to keep you in this hold? I mean, come to me. Turn to me, and I'll heal you. Psalmist says that his strength begins to dry up. And uh, I'm not a gardener, but I understand that if you don't water your plants, they're going to die. They, they, they're, 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 the moisture is sapped out, and they just die. In the same way, when we hold on to our sin, it just begins to suck the life out of us. So now the playlist has not only confronted us in our sin, but also told us the the, the result of our sin when we keep it silent. The outcome is basically misery. And some of us are miserable today because we refuse to bring our sin before God. Well, what God wants us to do is something that the Bible calls repent. And that's to turn away from our sin and turn back to God. It is a change of mind. It's a change of direction. And it's exactly what David tells us to do in verse 5. He says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hear that? He says, when I acknowledged it, and I confessed it, you forgave me, God. That's what a good father does. He forgives us. Now, don't don't overlook the simple words that are mentioned there. He says, I acknowledged my sin. I did not cover it up. To acknowledge it is to say, hey, he he came to God. He said, God, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's it's sin. It's not a bad day. I, I sinned. It's not a rough moment. God, I rebelled against you. Forgive me. He called it what it is. He was transparent before God. And God says, and he says that God forgave him of his iniquity. That is the power of confession, family. Because the weight of our sin is so burdensome. 
And on the opposite side, the freedom of forgiveness is so alleviating. It's a blessing, as David says in verses 1 and 2, to be forgiven. This is the great hope of this psalm. And he goes on to say here, essentially, this is not simply a, a personal testimony he's sharing, although there's a personal element here, but this is a call to action. He's not only bringing things to the surface to say, oh, that's interesting, but he's saying, but you got to do something with this. And look at verse 6, what he tells us. Therefore, he's pointing back, okay, in light of all this, therefore, this is what you should do. Let everyone who is godly offer prayers to you, God, at the right time. When you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Now, I wrestled with this verse trying to really understand what it meant. And I think this is what David is saying here. That when we come to God in the point of our sin, God may be found. And that's what he says. Come to you when you may be found. But when we refuse to come to God, essentially he's not there to be found because we're not pursuing him. And that's what happens when we silence ourselves, when we stuff. We just feel further and further away from God. And David is saying here, no, now turn to him. As he reveals it to you, turn to him. Don't push it away. Turn to God. And it says, in a rush of great waters, those waters will not reach you then. Because you've turned to him. Verse 7 goes on, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. See, God is one who protects us then in that place of repentance when we confess our sin to him. He forgives us. He brings us into the fold and says, hey, my delight is over you. You are in a refuge now, in a place of forgiveness. Well, in verse 8, My understanding is this God speaking. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to me. I want you to come to me, and I will lead you, and I will guide you. And basically what it's saying is here, it's it's heed the teacher. Heed his instruction. And he tells us, don't be like a mule or an animal that's stubborn. Don't, Don't be that wrestler on the mat. Just tap out. God, I need you. Come to me. Heal me. Forgive me. And we don't do this on our own strength because David says here in verse 7 that God, he says, you are a hiding place. You preserve me. You surround me. It's not something we can do by our own efforts. This is what I love about the Christian faith. It is not one that's based upon our good works because we know there's nothing we can do. We've already established that. We've already established the Ten Commandments. If you failed at one, you failed at them all. You've sinned. So, so God doesn't say, hey, try harder, be better, earn my love. But he says, I know you can't, but I'm going to meet you in this place. Trust me. Believe in me. Repent. Be forgiven. And God is the one who preserves and protects us. He instructs us. You know, when uh, we have a, a swimming pool in our backyard, and this past weekend, we were just having a blast, and it. it's been hot, it's been fun, and I love to take out the ladder and do a whirlpool. You ever do those? You just go around it, around and around in the same direction, and you do it so much that the, the current starts flowing, and I love doing it when Levi's in there, he's got his floaties, and he can't stop himself, he just starts, he's just going around the pool like this. I mean, it's hysterical. And, and after a while, usually I tell the kids, like, all right, on the count of three, 
Let's go the opposite direction. And so we're like, all right, one, two, three. We, we go, and without a doubt, like, ne- never could we stop it. It just knocks us over. But slowly, we're able to get it back on track and, and start going the opposite direction. That, that's what repentance feels like sometimes. You may be stuck in that rut of being silent, of holding on to your transgressions, to your sin, your iniquity. And right now, God is like, put the brakes on. And you're like, God, I don't know if I can do it. And it's going to be hard, maybe. But God's not saying you got to do it by your own strength. He says, I will instruct you. I will teach you. I will preserve you. I am a refuge, a hiding place, a shelter. And so as God burdens you today, perhaps, for something in your life, decisions and choices you've got to make because you know there's things in you that's not honoring to God, God's not saying it's going to be easy, but he's saying, I'm going to be with you. And as you hold fast to him as your strength, he will give you the strength to repent and go the other direction. He's that kind of God. Somebody once said, there is no example in the Bible of somebody who asked for forgiveness and didn't receive it. Now, there are people who've asked for other things and didn't get them, like Esau, who made a huge mistake and asked for God to overturn his promise and so forth. But God never said, I will not forgive you when you repent. If you turn to him, you'll be forgiven. So heed the teacher. But this is a psalm of David, isn't it? And in essence, David is also being the teacher. And I think by that, we understand not only where to heed the teacher, God, but you also ought to be the teacher, There are people in your lives who maybe right now feel that rush of waters and they're circling about life right now and they feel like there's no way to turn around and they need to know that you have a story to tell. They need to hear that you too were once in that same swimming pool circling around. And they need to hear how God, through your confession of your sin to him and your repentance, turned you around. Be the teacher. Sometimes when we don't share our stories, people see the the end product of where you're at today and they think, I can never get there without knowing what it took to get you there. Heed the teacher. Be the teacher. Add this into your playlist, family. This is a psalm of confession, but it turns quickly into a psalm of praise. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. We've already established. I mean, their, their their bones are breaking spiritually, maybe physically. They're miserable. He says this by contrast with the word but, which is a change of direction, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I love the language that David uses here. You see, in in verse... uh, I can find it here. I don't remember which verse it is. Where he talks about us being the godly. He says the godly shall call to God. It causes the righteous there in verse 11. But he's also showed how we're sinful. We've transgressed and we've sinned and we've committed iniquity. And this is just the beautiful tension of the scriptures. Is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become, well, I like to say, we become sinner saints. We are holy ones who are very imperfect. 
But God looks at us and says, you are the righteous ones, not because you're perfect, but because Jesus' righteousness is over you. And this is our identity. So if you come today burdened by your sin, burdened by your failures, past or present, take that baggage and leave it at the foot of the cross. And understand, and let this not only be a moment of sorrow, but a moment of thanksgiving, saying, God, you indeed can and will and have forgiven me. Jesus' death on the cross came for that purpose, to free us from our sin. If you've done that, if you've turned from your sin, if you've turned to Jesus and asked his forgiveness, you then are a daughter and a son of God. And his delight is directed toward you. What I love about the Psalms is an array of stories it tells and topics it touches on. Church family, add these into your rhythms of life. To God, meet me where I'm at, whether it be a lament or a confession, whether it be praise or thanksgiving. God, you are the God of all. And no matter where I'm at, I'm going to lay myself before your feet. That's what God wants for each of us today. I'm going to pray here, and after I pray, we're going to have a prayer team come forward. Maybe God is stirring within you this need to confess and to repent. Uh, A passage I forgot to turn to that I want to bring to your attention is James 5, which says, confess your sins to one another and be healed. Now, I want to say that with with care and delicacy, but I want to say this with with courage and confidence, too. Sometimes part of our stuffing our sin is that we keep it hidden, maybe not before God, but before someone else. And I want to tell you, like, you don't need to to air your your sin on Facebook and put it out there for the whole world to see. Sometimes you may need to. But certainly, there needs to be one or two people in your life, maybe three even, who know you and know you well. A couple people in your life that you can say, hey, you didn't see this because it was in this heart of mine, but I need to tell you it. Because James says when you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. I think sometimes uh, many of us have come out of a Catholic church background and we think of that as a very Catholic thing to do and we say, "I I don't want that. But but understand, there there is a power in confessing your sins to one another. And for that person to say, hey, because of Jesus, God forgives you. Not not that I forgive you, but God forgives you. And so as as we conclude this last song, maybe there's a brother or sister that you need to confess your sin to. Maybe, Maybe you need to remain silent and confess to God. But I want you to understand that there is power in confession and there's freedom in forgiveness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us struggling in the mud of our sin. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you have showed us in the Bible that the struggles we face are not unique to us. Lord, you are a God who wants to Free us from our sin. You've extended your love toward us through Jesus to the extent with which you have 
poured your wrath on your son so that we don't have to face that punishment. And so, Lord, we want to come before you and express, experience your forgiveness, God. And so, Lord, as we, as we sing this final song, whether it be with another brother or sister, whether it be here at the altar where we kneel down before you, maybe, God, we want to cry out to you on behalf of someone else. Lord, let us bring to you our burdens and trust that you are a God who is merciful and gracious. Father, I pray these things, trusting in your loving kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's rise to our feet, family. And prayer team, would you come forward, make yourself available. And as I mentioned in the prayer, if you want to come with one of the prayer team members, come to the altar here to pray. We invite you to do that.
Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. God, we thank you, Lord, that for all who are your children today, that we can say we indeed are blessed because our transgressions have been covered and you do not hold our sin over our heads. Lord, I pray that we would make it a practice of repentance daily, Lord. That we would not let confession be something we do once in a while. But every day, Lord, when you've exposed our sin, that we say, God, I'm sorry. Restore me, renew me. Help me walk in your ways. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you give others today courage to go against the current that they have established by their own sin and that they can resist it by your strength, God. Repent and turn to you and embrace your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that our hope is secure in him. Lord, help us heed your instruction. Help us be those who instruct. All for your glory and your fame and your forgiveness to be declared over this city, and over the ends of this earth. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, church, in a moment, I will dismiss you. I just want to give you a couple reminders as we, as we conclude our worship time. Um, the first one is to sign up for the church picnic um, at the welcome table. Just at least put your name down. Let us know you're coming so we can begin to plan for that. And again, this is open to everybody. You've got friends. You've got people in your neighborhood. You got family members, you got co-workers, bring them on out. Let them know we want them to come. We'd love to see 150, 200, 300 people there. So uh, there's, no, there's no limits. Let us know um, who's coming so we can prepare and plan accordingly. And also join us downstairs, church. As Jeremy mentioned earlier today, our, our summer rhythms are tough sometimes. And um, sometimes we, we walk past each other. Let's, let's go downstairs afterward and have a cup of coffee, eat some bread, even for five, ten minutes and to, to, to kind of just live life together in a small way. Uh, and then one last thing that just came to mind I want to remind us or let us know about is next Sunday I'm going to start a new series uh, here on, in our sermon series on the topic of revival. And we're going to look at past stories of how God has revived people individually, revived churches and revived cities and communities. And, and we're going to be praying for that to that end. And, and so next week, Please come and join us at 9.30 in the morning as we start our service with prayer in our youth room downstairs. Every Sunday we're there at 9.30. We'd love for you to come on out. Let's pray for personal revival, for for church-wide revival, for city and country-wide revival. And so that begins with repentance, which is why we talked about that today. Let's trust God to move among us as he so faithfully does. Church family, the Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he'll rejoice over you with singing. This is our God, church. You may be dismissed. See you guys downstairs and at the welcome table.